people give you these these moronic, uh, you know, you need to learn math because you don't want to get ripped off at the supermarket. You know, you you go to buy the super jumbo box of donuts, and my God, you realize that the jumbo box is you know two cents a kilo cheaper. Well, you want to stock up on them, don't you? Welcome to Radio Free School. Magnificent Mathematics on Radio Free School with special guest Bill Higginson. One, I'm a, I'm a bit of a mathematical imperialist. I mean, talking with people about the things I love is always dangerous because they can get <laughs> carried away. And I talk a lot about, you know, the potential of mathematics. But there's potential of lots of other areas as well. There's potential around language. There's potential around music. There's mm-hmm. potential around aesthetics. I mean, the, the work of Howard Gardner, the Harvard psychologist, uh, uh, around multiple intelligence, I says, I think is very important here. There's lots. Humans are uh, prodigiously uh, talented and diverse uh, group of uh, of people, and they they reflect their talents uh, in lots of different ways. And the way uh, the way in which they those talents sort of emerge is a function of the environments they find themselves in and the particular you know sort of set of strengths that they have internally and the, the resources they have access to externally. Jared Diamond's books on uh, guns, germs, steel, etc. I think is very exciting that way because he looks at the evolution of human societies and asks the questions about why certain societies would appear to have been more successful than others and so forth and you know his argument is is largely around the external factors so what sort of uh, what sort of food do you have access to? What sort of animals are capable of domestication? What are the winters like? Uh, you know, these sorts of uh, things. And I think the same thing is, is true intellectually. I'm certainly, although I'm a card-carrying uh, mathematical imperialist, I think language is a subset of mathematics, for example, which gets a lot of people's teeth on it. I by no means would say that, that mathematics should should be something which was of central importance for all people. I'd like it very much if it was something which was uh, an area of, of, of comfort and pleasure at a moderate level, and I would hope that every human being has two or three areas where they they do have strong suits, but I'd certainly not want to argue that mathematics would have to be one of those suits. I would argue that we could do a lot better for many, many uh, people in the, in the, in the culture uh, than we do. This whole utilitarian question, I think, is 
is really a tough one. Question to talk about the uses of mathematics. Well, that you know, on one level, that's a that's a really good question, and there's there's a lot that can be said there. But it does, I think, reflect uh, one of the problems in the area that that utility is seen as being particularly important. Let's, let's look at you know what you might hope for for your for your kid. I'm I'm scared by. President Bush, not because I'm a Democrat or uh, I'm, you know, I'm not an American, so I don't have any political interest in this. I'm, I'm scared by him because I, th- I think, you know, he and his his cronies, uh, their their view of the world is such that we we run a real danger of of you know exterminating the species. I mean, they, it's a very short term. It's very exploitative. It's uh, you know, these are not well-educated individuals. They're, they're aggressive people who treat any form of resistance with, you know, extremely punitive responses. They've built a, a culture around themselves which, uh, you know, reinforces many of, uh, many of their views and so forth. But, for, you know, for people who, who are worried about, you know, environmental, let's take that, let's take that as, a, as an example. Um, so you're, you know, you're a person who, who, you know, thinks you only need the basics. I mean, what do they think about, you know, environmental issues? What, what, how long can we sustain the, the, the form of life that we have in this, in this country, in this continent, in this global setting? Um, and if you if you have some concerns about that, and you know if they don't, I mean, why are we talking to dimwits like this? I mean, uh, we're not talking about two hundred thousand years from now, uh, you know, some sort of cosmic accident happening. This is, you know, we're we're talking about snuffing out the species because of stupidity around extensions of views on SUVs and things. Uh, so. You know, let, let's let's assume that you have a person who, even though they talk about you know the, the basics, one of the basics is how do we how do we try to ensure that our grandchildren have some water that's potable and some air that's breathable? I think you know right at the heart of of a response to that are some views about what mathematics is about and the way that gets reflected in the way we see the world. It's essentially about a sensitivity to proportion. It's about the ethical version of that is about justice. It's about balance. It's about understanding the way systems work well enough. You know, it's people give you these these moronic uh, you know, you need to learn math because you don't want to get ripped off at the supermarket. You know, you you go to buy the super jumbo box of donuts, and my God, you realize that the jumbo box is, you know, two cents a kilo cheaper. Well, you want to stock up on them, don't you? Well, no, you don't. I mean, you want to stay out of those sorts of places and have a look at your body and your nutrition and your health and and these sorts of things. And then, you know, I... I I think people who have really been well educated mathematically, it's it, it at at its foundation, it's around. This goes right back to the Greeks. It's a sensitivity to to balance in its in its many many manifestations. Uh, so, uh, as you can tell, folks who rant about only needing the basics uh, get up my nose a bit. Um, Partly because it's it's an aggressive statement. uh, Very often, I mean, you know, elderly male animals are pretty peculiar breed. I'm one of them, so I might be able to get away with saying it. But it's about sort of territoriality and these sorts of things. And when when 
you know, people of my age in their 50s and so forth say say things like that. They're they're simultaneously saying, you know, look at what a successful person I am, and I didn't do any of that airy fairy rubbish that that you do, Bill. Um, you know, so it's not a good a good starting place, I uh, I, I think. And you know, I, I, you know, you have to choose your people to interact with, and uh, you try to you know, respond, uh, responses, you know, back and forth, I mean, uh, is, a, is a central aspect of a lot of things. Uh, it's, a, you know, right at the heart of the relationship between parents and children, the mother and child, the heartbeat, and so forth. You're holding that tiny infant on your chest, and the, the heartbeats are, are there. It's, a, it's this fundamental sense of rhythm. You know, you ask about sine, cos, and tan a little bit later. It's, it's going to be about understanding rhythms, understanding connections. You are listening to Radio Free School on CFMU. Parallels with art and with music are extremely strong. I think it's possible to approach, you know, the education of children from that mathematics as an art perspective, and that's where my own academic work lies at, uh, at the moment. It's not so much between art and mathematics, but it's, it's an aesthetic perspective. It, it gets the idea about, about balance and proportion. Um, I've got lots of unwritten books in my head, but, you know, one of them's <laughs> called It's Only Fitting. And this idea of fit, that the world is a set of connections built around relationships of certain sorts. And mathematics is, is one way of understanding those, those connections. And it's this idea of, of, of balance. And, and that's, you see, the connection to the environment as well, because we are a tremendously wasteful culture. Uh, my, my work in Africa, for example, sensitized me to that so many years ago, and I've I've never lost that, but we, you know, the, the amount of material that we throw out, I mean, we're making modest beginnings at recycling and so forth, but we just consume far too much and we're terribly wasteful. I mean, Whitehead, who's uh, one of those tremendously important philosophical thinkers uh, in, in, this, uh, in this area, you know, he defines education in, the, in his wonderful collection of essays called The Aims of Education. Education is the acquisition of the art of the utilization of knowledge. I mean, there, you know, that's almost a poetic statement right there, but this idea that you know, education. You don't you don't collect knowledge just for the sake of collecting it, but you want to you want to apply it. There are there are a number of of settings, whether they're social settings, they're scientific settings, they're um, you know work settings where where you can you can cope effectively that you don't you don't make assumptions that you haven't examined and and uh, you you understand the the limits of the of the world that that you're in you understand the dangers you run into when you transgress those uh, those those limits so you know my i'm just currently working on a on a paper called Homo Mestheticus. Um, I'm, I'm there consciously borrowing from the work of a, of a wonderful uh, thinker, a woman called Ellen Dysoniaki, who's an independent scholar, and that's a breed of person I have great respect for because they, they operate uh, without the uh, support of taxpayers and, and so forth. And she's written three books now. Uh, one was called Homo Aestheticus, another one was called What is Art For? And the last one was called Art and Intimacy, which is about the relationship between mothers and their children, interestingly. And she, she, she argues for the importance of, of art in you know, human culture and, and to, to us as, as human beings. And the arguments she makes for art are very similar to the 
to the ones that I make for mathematics. Um, it's a, you know, a pattern plays a really important part in uh, in both of these enterprises, and so I I take her idea of Homo aestheticus, the you know, the artistic uh, animal, and push it to Homo mestheticus, the mathematically aesthetic a- animal, and I'm I'm finding that interesting and uh you know i I need to start to produce more more examples uh certainly there's lots of examples in biography if you read the biography of people like oliver Sacks's recent book called uncle tungsten which is essentially about the way he came to learn chemistry but mathematics is an important part of that at a certain stage richard Feynman, the great american physicist who died uh, 10 years ago or so i guess uh, some of his uh, biographical things are really uh, interesting the the, uh, the the wonderful work of uh, of Andrew Wiles, who solved that problem, uh, uh, you know that great outstanding mathematical problem, Fermat's uh, last uh, theorem, uh, I mean, about ten years ago at Princeton. Again, from a from a the point of view of people who were interested in children and their relation to mathematics, there's a a man who who read this uh, about this problem in a in a book he got out of the public library when he was 10 years old and he said to himself I want to solve that problem people have been working on it for over 200 years and uh, I want to be the one who solves it
You're listening to Radio Free School on CFMU 93.3. Let's go back to the idea of what mathematics, how it might be connected to us as a, as a species, and my argument that, that we've neglected to, except for the sort of implicit work and a few sort of unelaborated statements by mathematicians uh, about how the thing that really makes them want to proceed with this is this sense of, of intellectual satisfaction that they get uh, from it. That goes back a long time. I mean, our, our culture is, is mathematically and scientifically very influenced by the, by the Greeks. I always till recently thought that was a universally good thing. I mean, they, these, these folks really, uh, really knew an amazing amount. Their ideas festered, uh, lay dormant for a long time. Kepler picks them up, sort of tries to build his model of the universe built around uh, the Greek, Greek ideas and uh, knowledge that there were only five different three-dimensional objects of a certain sort that were totally symmetric, the so-called platonic solids. And it didn't quite work, but it sort of put him on the right track to make his breakthrough to our understanding of the cosmos, uh, another intellectual landmark. And we don't give kids any insight into this at all, historically and culturally. I mean, of course, uh, for all sorts of reasons that we can understand, there was a very negative aspect of this, which was we tended to downplay the contributions of almost all other cultures on the planet. And it's only in the last 20 years or so that we've begun to realize that Asian culture, Indian culture, uh, African culture also had had fascinating mathematical evolutions. They were different from the Greeks. Now, is that surprising? Well, you know, the Greek culture of the time we're talking about, the age of Athens, uh, might have been terrific from some perspectives, but boy, from other perspectives, it was pretty pretty ugly. You, you don't have to be a particularly extreme uh, feminist to feel that a culture which marginalizes uh, you know, almost all members of uh, the society, except for a small group of aristocratic males, um, is not one that you want to use as a model in lots of ways. And of course, we weren't taking the, the, the political side of that per se, but these things are all connected. So there was a an arrogance that came from there. It surfaced in Cambridge University in England, uh, in particular, which has been the driving force in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries uh, mathematically. 
Uh, you know, Newton's a landmark there, and it goes right uh, right through the the new Cambridge. Of course, is MIT at uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with the sort of technology side of things. But uh, we 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 really need to acknowledge the contributions and the approaches, uh, partly because they're much healthier models in some ways. Not to say that ancient Indian culture was was perfect, but their mathematics emerges out of a sense of the physical. Uh, these aristocrats didn't do any work. I mean, they had slaves to do their work for them, so they, you know, theirs was the life of the mind and some other things, but but intellectually, it was the questions don't emerge out of problems of construction, shall we say. They're interested in the cosmos and these these sorts of, uh, of things. And the book called The Crest of the Peacock, for example, um, written by a man called George Garavese, Joseph, uh, published by Penguin originally and now by Princeton. Wonderful book to sort of shatter some of these, uh, these illusions. Very powerful gender-related uh, aspects here. Certain sorts of intellectual thought that are done by males is acknowledged as mathematics. Isomorphic, as we say in the mathematical business, having exactly the same form, but different sort of external reality. Isomorphic work done by females is written off as being only decorative. So many of traditional crafts done by females, largely by females, at least in many parts of the world, very seldom are the mathematic have the mathematical aspects of that work being acknowledged. But when you shift your perspective a little bit and go back, you know, they were doing you know, fascinating uh, work at the intersection of the artistic, the functional, and the mathematical. And basket weaving in Southern Africa is perhaps the easiest example of that. A man called Paulus Gerdes, G-E-R-D-E-S, has documented that in some interesting and important work, I think. So, yeah, I tend to think that there's some very important implications for us around the way we see mathematics, the way we introduce mathematics to our children. You asked you know, about what are the chances of homeschooling parents being more successful. You, know, you can, you don't want to push this too far, but you can take your own <laughs> lack of knowledge, your own lack of experience in an area as a positive thing. We have things to learn. I mean, the commodification, the, the, the sort of boxed-in version of mathematics, mathematics as a tool, very hierarchical. So I'm the expert. You should be listening to me because I'm a professor, and I'm a professor at Queen's, and we all know that Queen's is, you know, one of, the, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we, have a, we have a model of relationships. We have a model of space that's, that's very hierarchical and uh, not very healthy in certain sorts of ways. It requires, you know, old geezers to die off before you can change their ideas. Now, you change your structure, your, your, your network, or your communication paths, and that's, you know, one thing which the Internet does very well in, in some ways. Uh, and, and there's all sorts of, of, of potential. So, you know, if you can excite people, I mean, human beings are amazing. If they decide they want it, they really can often do, not universally, but they often can do really interesting work. I mentioned that I spent a lot of time in paper folding. It's very interesting to be a sort of middle-aged male and confess to people publicly that you're interested in paper folding. And, you know, the eyes rotate like machine in Las Vegas, you know, the, uh, my God, we're paying this guy to... But in fact, uh, I'm doing mathematics and, uh, and thinking at a level that I haven't done since I was a graduate student in mathematics uh, many, many years ago. It's, uh, let, me just, let me just try to give you a, a, a glimpse of that if I can. Let's go back to our, our mom and our child and our heartbeat of ka-thump, ka-thump, ka-thump. I'm, I'm suggesting that rhythm, pattern, symmetry, f 
fundamental ideas both to the discipline of mathematics and to us as human beings. If you begin to try to sort of record that that rhythm, uh, it's a pretty simple one. It's it's the pretty basic one. It's it's on off on off thump pause thump pause thump pause. If we put that down uh, symbolically, we might choose to, we don't have to, but you could choose to, to document that as thump as one, pause as zero. There's something, there's nothing, there's something, there's nothing. So we've got a sequence there that goes on and on and on and on, and it's pretty important to us. If it stops, we're, uh, we're in trouble. Now, if you begin to think about other rhythms, uh, arrhythmia, etc., you'd represent those in different ways. And one of, the, one of the things I'm particularly excited about that I've done is to make a, a link between that representation of that fundamental rhythm and some fundamental mathematical ideas. And in particular, I've linked the idea of number to physical human activity. How does that work? Well, let's, let's think about it. Let's, go, let's shift apparently to a different situation, which is taking a piece of paper, just a piece of note paper, eight and a half by 11 in the sculpture. And let's suppose I want to divide the long side in half. That's a pretty easy thing to do. We, we do it all the time. We fold it over have the you know one short edge meet the other short edge, make a crease, and so forth. And we can do that again if we want, and we can divide a piece of paper into halves and quarters and eighths, and those are really simple. That's not what we do most of the time, and all of us, I think, have done this a few times, and some of us have done it thousands and thousands of times, and we never think about it. And this is another one of my themes. We ha- you know, It's really important to think deeply about some things that we usually don't think about very much, and that can be looking at things in our natural environment. We're terrible at that. We have no idea, by and large, for example, of what's happening within our own bodies. I mean, we know about what's happening on the surface. Whoops, I got a zit again. What's happening to your liver at the moment, and just what are your kidneys doing? I mean, we tend not to be very good good at, at doing that, uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, let's just look at doing something, which is I'm going to not talk to you on the phone or send you an email. I'm going to do old-fashioned stuff. I'm going to write you a letter. And if I did that, very often I would take a piece of paper and fold it into three parts. We, we don't think about it very much because envelope manufacturers have uh, consciously allowed us a little bit of error there. But we are doing an approximation there to folding a piece of paper into three equal parts. If you shifted your lens a little bit, you would find that there's a very close connection between that folding a piece of paper into three equal parts and that fundamental rhythm that I talked about. And how does that work? Well, it works because we know exactly how to divide things in halves and quarters and so forth. Finding thirds isn't as easy because there's no convenient edge to connect to. So what we do is do we make an approximation. We, we fold it to what we think is about a third of the, the way, and then we fold the other one down, and provided there isn't a huge overlap, we stick it in the envelope. And, but if we wanted to be more precise about that, there's something that we can do, and that is that we could continue to do that fold from one end, fold from the other end, fold from one end, fold from the other end. And if we did that, and this is probably really hard to imagine um, just orally, but it's very easy to see if you do it uh, physically, you can watch someone else doing it. But what I'm saying is, 
you you make an approximation and then you fold the other from one end then you fold the other end to that crease and if you want it to be even more accurate you would then fold from the first end back to that second crease and do that again in other words what you would be doing would be folding from the one end folding from the zero end folding from the one end folding from the zero end can you see that's the same pattern as the heartbeat example of zero one zero one zero one and how does that connect to sort of what some people might recognize as more formal mathematics well it's because if you wanted to approximate a third you'd have to say well it's it's not as big as a half so it's less than a half but it's bigger than a quarter so it's a quarter plus something and let's suppose that i'm thinking in terms of halves and quarters and eighths and sixteenths and thirty-seconds and sixty-fourths and so forth, it turns out that you can approximate one-third as accurately as you want as the sum of these fractions which have powers of two as their denominators. So that's a big mathematical mouthful which will have turned almost everybody off. What I mean is that one quarter is a rough approximation to a third. It's a fair bit less, so we want to add something to a quarter. But if I added an eighth to a quarter, I think I get more than a third. But if I add a sixteenth to a quarter, I get closer to a third and still less than that. And I wouldn't add a thirty-second, but I'd add a sixty-fourth. And so it turns out that in something which we've now leapt to senior secondary or university level mathematics, we're talking about approximations, we're talking about limits, we're talking about sequences and series and so forth, but all out of a close examination of something which we do frequently without ever thinking about. Now we come to the next chapter. Smash and grab. So simple. I'm gonna wrap myself in paper. I'm gonna daub myself with glue. Stick some stamps on the top of my head. I'm gonna mail myself to you. Contact Radio Free School at grassroots at hwcn.org or mail P.O. Box 19, 1280 Main Street West, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. L8S 
1CO.